Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. This is a jar of grey poupon mustard. And you might be wondering, why did I bring a jar of mustard to church? And I'll tell you, it's not because mustard is my favourite sauce or favourite condiment. I mean, I don't mind mustard. I like it on hot dogs, maybe on a bagel, and in a few other occasions, I don't mind mustard. But I wouldn't go out of my way just to buy mustard if I didn't have it in the house or if someone didn't offer it already. But you see, there's more to this mustard that one, that w- than what meets the eye. This is no ordinary mustard. This is grey poupon mustard. And this particular brand of mustard has an important part in something that most people don't associate with mustard, and that is hip-hop culture. Now, if you like hip-hop, if you've listened to it, you've definitely heard about grey poupon mustard. Unlike mustard, I actually do like hip-hop and go out of my way to find good hip-hop, especially the, ones that is, the one that is MC-based, lyrically complex, socially engaged, cognitively challenging, poetically rich. The very kind of hip-hop that is very rare these days and there's very precious little left of it on the market. But die-hard fans and nerds of hip-hop have actually done some research. And they found out that between the years 1992 in 2016, Grey Poupon Dijon Mustard has been mentioned in almost 120 rap songs. And it was mentioned by some very well-known names and some less lesser known, but some, some big names in rap music, including Jay-Z, Andre 3000, Kanye West, Kendrick Lamar, and the late and great MF Doom. And no one knows why exactly this trend to refer to Grey Poupon Mustard took off like it did in hip-hop music. And part of the reason could be the fact that just the name of the brand, Grey Poupon, lends itself well to rhyming because it rhymes with words such as coupon and futon and neutron and indeed stoop-on. But more importantly, it became something of a, of a status symbol. Uh, There is a a long history in hip-hop culture, um, history and and, and practice of naming certain brands, notably high fashion brands or luxury cars, uh, in order to highlight one's wealth or in order to juxtapose one's humble beginnings to their current success. And in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, Grey Poupon Mustard has consistently been almost double the price of all other master brands on the market. Never mind that it still only cost me £1.40, but it still cost, at least back in the days, cost more than double than other master brands. And then also there was this, this TV campaign in the 90s um, for this, this particular brand that revolved around this image of, of a British gentleman, older British gentleman, being driven in luxury limousines and eating grey poupon and asking each other, do you have some grey poupon, etc. You've, you've, if, if you're old enough, you've, you've seen those commercials. 
So it's no surprise that Grey Poupon then became a symbol of wealth, success, luxury, power, and influence. So like I said, there is more to this mustard than meets the eye. In our gospel reading for today, we find another reference to mustard. And yet again, there is more to this mustard than what meets the eye. Jesus told many parables. In fact, as we just read, Mark goes out of his way to, to point out that Jesus spoke exclusively through parables. Of course, we know that, and Mark as well tells us that Jesus taught in other ways, and he spoke in other ways as well. But parables were definitely the central way um, and the central part of the style of teaching that Jesus practiced. And we are also told that privately, he explained, Jesus explained the meaning of all the parables to his disciples. And we have some examples of Jesus explaining the parables to his disciples, notably the parable of the sower, which is found earlier in the chapter. I have to be honest with you, though. I have to admit, I am actually very glad that we don't have all the explanations that Jesus gave to his disciples preserved. I believe that God knew that if they were to be preserved, they would become just another weapon in the hands of those perhaps inclined towards a more literalistic reading of the Bible or maybe even authoritarian leadership and forms of government. And that is why we are invited to enter the world of the parable and to let the parable speak to us and to experience the parable for ourselves. The parable of the mustard seed comes after two other parables about seeds and sowing. One I mentioned, the parable of the sower and the different kinds of soil, and the other one we read in our gospel reading. And I love how Jesus stops before the parable of the mustard seed and, and poses this, this rhetorical question. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable we will use for it? It's as if Jesus is, is stopping for a, minute, for, a, for a minute and he's saying, what else can I say to you? How, how else can I describe the kingdom of God to you? What would, what would make you think? Um, what, what reference can I bring up? What, what cultural artifact can I summon? What kind of intertextual link can I evoke? Ah, yes, mustard. Jesus said that when, when sown upon the ground, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Except mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds on earth. And I can think of at least one seed that was known to the people of the ancient uh, Near East, which is smaller than the mustard seed, namely the poppy seed. And I'm sure there, there are more. But Jesus is, Jesus is not interested in botany here. Uh, he is using a well-known and a well-established trope, a, a cultural artifact, um, a meme, if you will. That's what we will call it today. Because in a number of Jewish and, and other sources from that time, the mustard seed keeps coming up as, as a go-to reference when talking about something small. Jesus is engage, engaging and referring to the popular culture of his time. And because of that, some have suggested that Maybe the particular popular culture reference 
has to do with the many ways in which the mustard seed was, was used by the ancient people. You see, the seeds and the leaves and the buds and the flowers, they're all edible and they were all used, used in different, different cuisines in the Middle East. And also, the plant is, is used in many ways in folk medicine to treat various conditions. And according to this view, the kingdom of God has a very, a very distinct flavor, if you will, and also it benefits people in many ways, which is why Jesus chose this particular meme, this particular popular culture reference. In fact, we have preserved the writings of Clement of Alexandria, who wrote in the second century the following words. The word which proclaims the kingdom of heaven is sharp and pungent as mustard. It represses bile and checks inflammation. In that time, bile was associated with anger and inflammation with pride. So in fact, he's saying, just like the mustard seed represses bile and checks inflammation, the kingdom of God represses anger and checks pride. Then others have suggested that maybe the mustard plant was used in this particular parable by Jesus because of its invasive character as a species. In this view, the mustard plant is an invasive and noxious weed. And once planted, it quickly reproduces itself and multiplies and takes over everything in its path. And therefore, they say that the kingdom of God is unstoppable, just like this noxious weed. And all it takes is a little tiny seed and then the kingdom will eventually grow and conquer everything. Still others have suggested that the emphasis should actually be put on the contrast between the small seed and the massive shrub, indeed the greatest of all shrubs in, in Mark's writing. The kingdom of God, therefore, starts with a small band of confused Galileans, but grows into this global reign of God. And rather than dissecting or evaluating all of these views, which I'm sure are all inspired readings and have blessed people throughout the years, I would like to suggest yet another, yet another reading just to add to our list. I'd like to suggest that Jesus was talking about Grey Poupon and everything it stands for. But in order to see that, we need to words. In the Gospel of Mark, we are told that the seed grows into the greatest of all shrubs, and that that shrub has large branches. In the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew, we are told that the seed grows into the greatest of shrubs that grows so much that eventually it turns into a tree. In the Gospel of Luke, we are told that it grows straight into a tree. And we know, and Jesus knew, and the evangelists also knew, that mustard is a plant, and it doesn't ever become a tree. But if we follow the birds, and if we're not obsessed with botany, but we decide to follow the birds, the connections between trees and kingdoms and birds will become somewhat clearer. And we start with another parable found in the book of Judges in chapter 9. I won't read it to you, but I will tell you what happened, and you can read it for yourself. This parable is delivered by Jotham. And it's delivered to the people of Israel when they decided that they wanted Abimelech to be their king. And in the parable, the trees come together and they decide that they want to elect a king among them. So they first approach the olive tree. 
But the olive tree refuses this suggestion because that would require it to stop producing olive oil, which is used by humans and gods. And also then it decides that no one could replace it, so it decides to refuse the offer. Then the trees approach the fig tree. And the fig tree also refuses because that would require giving up the delicious fruits in order to rule over the other trees. So the trees then go and they ask the vine. But the vine also refuses because that would mean cessation of wine production, something that is also used to honor, to, to bring joy to both humans and gods. So finally, the trees come together and they ask the bramble. And the proud and noble bramble, which doesn't produce anything of great benefit to anyone, says to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. I can just imagine this, this funny image of all the trees of the forest trying to find shade in the shadows of a bramble. But the idea of a royal tree, of a tree associated with monarchy, providing shade, can be found in other places. It can also be found in a vision described by the prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 31 of the book of Ezekiel, he delivers a message to Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt. And in this message, he, he talks about another kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria. And this is what he says. He says that God told him to, to tell the king of Egypt the following. Consider Assyria. It towered high above all the trees of the field. Its boughs grew large and its branches long from abundant water in its shoots. All the birds of the air made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the animals of the field gave birth to their young. And in its shade, all great nations lived. But what followed this vision was God's judgment on Assyria because the imperial tree was so high with its top up in the clouds, it became proud. And therefore God gave it to foreign nations to cut it down. And the same message is now given to the king of Egypt. Again, we find this image of the imperial tree in the book of Daniel. In chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And this is how he described his dream. There was a tree at the center of the earth. And its height was great. The tree grew great and strong. Its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. And what follows in his dream is an angel coming down from heaven with instructions to cut down the tree, to chop the branches, to strip the foliage, to scatter the fruit, because the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals. And then Daniel has to break it down to the king and say, this tree, it's you, O king. The image of a tree which shelters birds and other creatures under its shades 
and in its branches was a well-established metaphor for empire. It was part of the popular, popular culture. So when Jesus is searching for the right parable to describe the kingdom of God, he chooses a cultural, historical, and religious reference which had a distinctly anti-imperial context attached to it. And furthermore, he uses this image to show how the kingdom of God that he preached and came to establish was a fulfillment of prophecy. Back in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 17 this time, God himself says the following, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender, tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruits and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and I make dry and I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. And this, this prophetic image, this prophetic vision, if you will, is shared also by Jesus' own mother, Mary, who in her famous song found in the Gospel of Luke, when she receives the message from the angel in her famous Magnificat, she praises the Lord with with, for all the great things that he has done for her with the following words, she says, He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. She is at once describing the way in which the Lord has been operating and working throughout history as well as prophesying about the precise nature of the ministry of her son who indeed brought down the powerful from their thrones and filled up the lowly and lifted up the lowly and has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty. So with all of this in mind, when Jesus says that the tiny seed grew into a big shrub with large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade, we ought to hear that the kingdom of God is overthrowing and replacing all the other big tree empires before it. The kingdom of God may look like a shrub. It can easily be mistaken for bramble. It might be an unimpressive, otherwise unimpressive bush, but it is a burning bush. A fire with the presence of God, blazing with the love of Christ and consuming everything in its path. But the kingdom of God does not come through, not, not come through conquest or battle. It doesn't associate itself with violence. It doesn't even come through some magnificent, spectacular, divine intervention. Because earlier in the chapter, Jesus himself said that the kingdom is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow and he does not know how. The earth just produces of itself. The word there is automatically produces by itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. 
The kingdom of God comes organically, naturally. It grows slowly, gradually. And we have a part to play in that. We are called to be the ones scattering the seeds of the kingdom. And not to wait and see what will happen, what will come out of it, but to just continue living, to sleep and rise night and day. And we don't know how, but the seed will grow. And the kingdom of God, just like the Son of God himself, is fully human and fully divine. And our role, there, therefore, is to scatter these seeds. And God's role is to make them grow. But one thing is for certain. The harvest always comes. The kingdom always grows. And we can always find shelter in its shade. Dear friends, we live literally in a, in a kingdom. But all of us, we also live in the shadows, in the presence of empire. All around us, big imperial trees with their tops up in the heavens and the, the long branches spreading and penetrating every conceivable aspect of life. They're all around us. From the day we are born till the day we die, our lives are constantly defined, influenced, and shaped by the empires. The empires of capitalism, the empire of consumerism, nationalism, just to name a few. I'm sure you can continue adding to this list. And these evil imperial trees, they offer attractive fruits, pleasant to the eye, sweet to the taste. They promise us things like Sex and success, money and monopoly, fame and Forbes lists, power and profit, luxury and leisure, extravagance and excitement, dominion and domination. And sometimes in our lives, we, we, we get caught up chasing these empty promises. And then we realize that actually the game is, is rigged and most of the promises are actually reserved for the few and not for the many. And we are not in the few, but in the many. And then instead of giving up on these promises, <laughs> no, we invent, we invent status symbols just so we can pretend that we have reached our goals to signal to others that we are successful and rich and powerful. So we buy expensive cars, we wear expensive brands, we carry expensive bags, we drink expensive alcohol, we even buy expensive mustard and brag about it in songs. How miserable, how pathetic, how sad are we? We followed the birds today and we saw another layer to Jesus' parable. And some birds, birds are interesting creatures, some birds do this thing. It's called a stoop or stooping. And it, what happens is it's, it's when a bird folds its wings backwards and becomes super aerodynamic. And then it gauges, the bird engages in this fast downward drop called a stoop. And it's mostly done by birds of prey when they descend onto their prey. For example, the, the peregrine falcon can stoop at a speed of 200 miles per hour. And for those of you who are denouncing all things imperial, including 
measuring units, that's 320 kilometers per hour. And during a stoop, the bird becomes completely focused on the prey, single-mindedly centered on the object of its desire, fixated on the only thing that matters to it. Dear friends, let us not stoop onto the things that the imperial trees have to offer. Let us not chase the values of empire. Let us not give value to symbols and statuses and, and marking ourselves the markers of belonging to these various kingdoms of this world. I don't know who needs to hear this, but don't stoop on Grey Poupon. Just don't stoop on Grey Poupon. If we should be like birds, if we should learn anything from birds, let us be like birds because we make our nests in the branches and find shelter in the shade of the kingdom of God. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, the kingdom of God and its justice. And let us participate, actively participate in the spreading, in the advancement of this kingdom. Because every deed of kindness, every word of comfort, every act of solidarity, every insistence on justice, every demand for equality, every refusal to partake in the ways and workings of the empire, every proclamation and demonstration of the love of God is a seed, a mustard seed, a kingdom seed that God blesses and God grows. I would like to leave you with the words of the 5th century Bishop of Ravenna, Peter Chrysologus, or Peter the Golden-Worded. Not to be confused with John Chrysostom or John the Gold-Mouth, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople when Peter was just a youth. Peter Chrysologus said the following thing in, in one of his favorite, famous sermons. It is up to us to sow this mustard seed in our minds, and let it grow within us into a great tree of understanding, reaching up to heaven and elevating all our faculties. Then it will spread out branches of knowledge. The pungent savor of its fruit will make our mouths burn. Its fiery kernel will kindle a blaze within us, inflaming our hearts, and the taste of it will dispel our unenlightened repugnance. Such, then, is the mustard seed which Christ sowed in his garden. When he promised a kingdom to the patriarchs, the seed took root in them. With the prophets, it sprang up. With the apostles, it grew tall. In the church, it became a great tree, putting forth innumerable branches laden with gifts. And now, you too must take the wings of the psalmist dove, gleaming gold in the rays of divine sunlight, and fly to rest forever among those sturdy, fruitful branches 
No snares are set to trap you there. Fly off then with confidence and dwell securely in its shelter. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com. Thank you.